Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. And we are in chapter 19, part 2, and chapter 20, part 1. I hope we get there. But Revelation revealed part 30, chapter 19, part 2, chapter 20, part 1. Let me say a prayer and then we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your goodness. And Lord, for this book of Revelation, I pray, God, that you would show us truth in it that just inspires us, makes a difference in our lives, encourages us, uplifts us. And Father, we just give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Now, it's hard to believe that we're coming to the end of our study of Revelation, but we are coming in for a landing. We really are. The landing gear is is starting to come down. We're we're making the final approach, and uh, we are we are coming down for a landing in the book of Revelation, and it's been fun, and it's been interesting, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a trip, man. The book of Revelation is a trip, and uh, we're coming to the just some of the most amazing parts of this incredible book. Now. Last week, uh, we finished up chapter 18 and jumped into 19, and and I want to do a little review and kind of expound a little bit, and we'll just kind of uh, move into it from there. So let's look at verses 1 through 3 again, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 19. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her. Say avenged. You're talking about an avenger. You talk about an end game. This is the end game of all end games. This is the avenger of all avengers. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So here heaven is rejoicing over the failure of hell to thwart God's redemptive plan. And here we have the first Alleluia in the book of Revelation. Now if you grew up going to a Catholic church or I worked in the Episcopal church for years during Lent, the priests wore vestments that were purple, right? And they never said the word hallelujah or alleluia during Lent. But come Easter morning at church, the priest was wearing vestments of white. Maybe on Easter I should wear a white suit. Maybe I should wear purple suits in Lent. I'm just thinking out loud, y'all. And wear purple and gold. That's funny. I am in Louisiana, right? (laughs) Go Tigers. So that's funny. Uh, But but on Easter Sunday morning, the priest would wear white, and then he would say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. And the congregation would say, what? The Lord is risen indeed. Some of y'all know that. Uh, But but that's the way, uh, you know, that those traditions rolled, but it's, it's from this idea of here 
we have an alleluia with the risen Savior who has overcome, who has triumphed. And this is the, the first alleluia in the book of Revelation. And actually the specific word alleluia is only used four times in the entire Bible. And all four of them are found in Revelation 19. So, this is a very, very important moment here. Now, there's a parallel that I want to point out between, uh, well, we've seen Revelation 17, 18, and even back in 13, but there's this parallel with these verses in Revelation. Uh, there's a parallel with Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Listen to this. So, so here we have the triumphant Christ triumphing over his enemies. Look, look at Psalm 68, verse 1. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Listen to this. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, all caps, Y-A-H. This is unique to this, this verse here. And rejoice before him. Notice that. Sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah. Now, that is uh, short for Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the Rastafarians, would, they seized upon that. Bob Marley, Yah, you know, they would sing about Yah. And, and it's from this right here. It's, it's short for Yahweh or Jehovah. The Tetragrammaton, I preached about that not long ago. We know the name that's been revealed, the proper name, Yeshua or Jesus. That, that's the name that says, let, let them praise him by his name. So Psalm 68 has this, this parallel with what we're reading and what we have been reading in the book of Revelation. So, so back in chapter 19 of Revelation, the text says, Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Now he judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth, who corrupted the message, the gospel message, and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was shed by her. The judgments in Revelation, as as you've seen, they can be depressing, you know. Great hail falling on people and killing them and and, and sores and boils, kind of like the ten plagues. We saw that parallel. It could be depressing, downright depressing. But, but we see in Revelation over and over again, uh, it's, it's pointed out that his judgments are right and they are true. And it reminds me of what Paul said, Galatians 6, 7 through 9. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Chuck Swindoll put it like this, our God may be invisible, but never forget he is also invincible. So it may look like the enemy's winning, but trust me, behind the scenes God is moving and he will win in the end. We've seen that. That's been something reiterated over and over again in the book of Revelation. 
So let's look at verse 4, Revelation 19, 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Now, we saw a multitude. Now we see the 24 elders specifically pointed out, uh, just singled out here, the 24 elders. Now, we first saw them back in chapter 4 where it said that after this, Metatauta, after this, after what? After the harpazo, after the rapture, the catching away, uh, the, the 24 elders, we see them in heaven. Now this, in Revelation 19, is the last time we will ever see the 24 elders singled out. This is it. This is kind of their, their, their last hurrah as far as being singled out as a group, the 24 elders. So I, I want to look at this. Who are they? I said I believe that they represent the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints because you have 12 tribes of Israel and 12 holy apostles. But here, it it sure looks like that they are singled out and separated from the multitudes. And so they seem to be 24 literal individual elders who who began this this praise, who led the way... uh, they're, they're leading in worship, which I, I want to take a moment here and pause and say this. I think that's the way it ought to be. A lot of times, somebody finds Jesus, they get in church. In the old school, we called them a new convert. And they were on fire for God, so happy for what the Lord had done. And so they would kind of go crazy in their praise and worship. They were like exuberant. They'd kind of go nuts. They were so excited. Clap, 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 raise hands, raise hands, glory, hallelujah. Just so excited because of what the Lord had done for them. And, and the old timers, people who've been around for a while, will say, well, they'll, they'll calm down after a while. You know, like, I don't do that anymore. I used to do that. And I'm just saying, I think that's wrong. I think that if anybody ought to be leading the way, it ought to be the way, the ones who have been in the way, in the way, not in the way, but in the way of the Lord, I mean, have been in the way that we call the way of Jesus Christ, that's what I'm trying to say, who've been following the Lord for a long time, those are the ones who ought to lead the way in praise and worship. It ought to be those of us who have got a track record. Like, I got converted, but but he's been faithful through the years, all these years. And I don't want to be outpraised by someone who just found him and doesn't understand the depth of his riches and the faithfulness and how his grace is ever just, just, just always following me. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I've come to realize that after 30 plus years of following Jesus, I've come to realize he ain't nothing but good. He's always going to be with me. And I want to lead the way in praise and worship. I don't want somebody that's just come in leading the way. And here we have just exactly that happening. The 24 elders, listen to that, leading... The way, that would mean, check this out, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Manasseh, Ephraim, Benjamin, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel as he's known also, Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, or James the less he's called, Thaddeus, Judas also son of James, Simon the Zealot, and not not Judas, but Matthias, 
So here you have these elders mentioned for the last time because I, I think eventually uh, right after this they're going to converge and become part of what is referenced to as the Lamb's wife or the bride of Christ. We'll get to that. But here you have them, listen what they're doing, falling down on their faces in worship to the one who sits on the throne. This is not Donovan. This is not Cynthia. This is not Valerie. This is not Valerie Leday or Wendy. This, this, this is a group of elders, as in the sons of Jacob and the original disciples who became the apostles. They're the ones who are leading the way in exuberant worship. I mean, these are the ones who, if anybody you would think would have a right to maybe sit back and just kind of watch, maybe it would be them, but no, they're leading the way. The Greek for worship in the verse here is uh, a Greek word. (laughs) I had it down and now it's gone, (laughs) Uh, which means to kiss like, like, like a dog licking its master's hand. It, it, is, it is absolute. That, that makes me think of a, a, a joke I heard at men's conference. I got to be careful here, but it was man camp. And, and, and I forgot which preacher it was, but this preacher said, he said, listen, if you want to find out who loves you the most, you remember this, Brian? Is, does your wife or your dog love you the most? Here's what you do. Lock them both in a closet for a couple hours. And then open the door and see which one licks your hand. <laughs> You'll find out right away which one loves you the most. <laughs> Think about it, though. <laughs> Here you have the, the sons of Jacob. Here you have the original disciples. And, and, and they, they've been waiting. They've been, they've been waiting it, it appears from the text, you could read into this, that they were aware that the plan was not yet complete. They, they've been aware of the lack of fulfillment of all the promises of the end game. They've been waiting. These guys from 3,700 years ago who betrayed Joseph and saw redemption's plan up close and personal in their brother's life. And then these guys from 2,000 years ago who denied him and were scattered, but then saw him raised from the dead and, and were empowered by the Holy Spirit and went into all the world. And here at the end, at the consummation of all things, they're all engaged in worship around the throne, falling down in adoration of the King of Kings. That's a beautiful picture to me. Like the, the, the picture has come together for them and, and they're seeing it and they're rejoicing. They've been waiting on this for years. Hallelujah. And they're saying amen and hallelujah. Amen means so be it or of a truth or I agree. It's, it, it's become personal with me. I've bought into this. And then we've already looked at hallelujah. It, it means praise to Jehovah God, the one true and living God. They're agreeing with God, acknowledging His greatness, worshiping Him for for bringing together an incredible plan. It's just awesome to me. Just awesome. 
And then if it couldn't get any better, verse 5, listen to this. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. I love that. Now this could be Jesus himself because the voice comes from the throne. We've seen this before. It, it possibly is one of the angels. There sure is a lot of angelic activity going on up there. And it's as if he's saying, so check it out. I don't know if I've painted a good enough picture, but think of the 12. You've got the 12 patriarchs of Israel laying on their faces before the throne, yelling and screaming, Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Amen. You've got, you've got the 12 apostles, Peter, James, John, all those guys. They're, 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 they're laying out before the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. They're praising the Lord. They're, they're laid out just worshiping God and leading the way. And then the voice comes and says, is there anybody else out there who wants to give the Lord some praise? Can I get a witness? I wish I had somebody. That's what the voice to me is saying. Like cheerleading. Is there, I wish I had somebody out there who knew how to praise him for the good, provoking a multitude and, and th- this voice, whoever it is, is an effective praise leader because verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Think about it. Many waters. I can't help but think of Niagara Falls. You ever been there? You go out to Niagara Falls, ride the Maid of the Mist boat, and and you get up by the falls, and it's just a thunderous roar. You can go look up some videos. I should have thrown one up here. But you're trying to talk, and it's like, but you can't hear what they're saying, can't hear what each other's saying because it's just, just so loud. The, the falls are so loud. And that's what John is saying. This was like the sound of many waters just just rushing or like the, the clapping of thunder, just peals of thunder. Think about some of the thunder that we get around here. It's crazy, right? Just I should have played some thunder too now that I think about it. I, I could have played some thunder. But that's what it sounded like, a roar of worship and praise to the one true and living God and the all-powerful God. Omnipotent means all-powerful, the all-powerful God. Let me just say this. If you don't like worship down here, you're certainly not going to like heaven because heaven's going to be filled with explosive worship. And, and there's four, there's these four living creatures, right, that are, the King James calls them beasts, but not like beasts, like the bad beasts. Four living creatures, there's angels, and there's the redeemed, and everybody's singing the praises of God. It's, it's outrageous what's going on in heaven when it comes to worship. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, We ought not to worship God in a half-hearted sort of way, as if it were now our duty to bless God, but we felt it to be a weary business, and we would get through as quickly as we could and have done with it, and the sooner the better... No, no. All that is within me, 
Bless his holy name. Come, my heart, wake up and summon all the powers which wait upon thee. Mechanical worship is easy but worthless. Come, rouse yourself, my brother. Rouse thyself, O my soul. Isn't that good? He said this also. All Christian duties should be done joyfully, but especially the work of praising the Lord. I have been in congregations where the tune was dolorous to the very last degree, dolorous to the very last degree, where the time was so dreadfully slow that one wondered whether there would ever be able to sing through the 119th Psalm, whether to use Watts' expression, eternity would not be too short from them to get through it, and altogether the spirit of the people has seemed to be so damp, so heavy, so dead, that we might have supposed that they were met to prepare their minds for a hanging rather than for blessing the ever-gracious God. I've been in a few services like that. Not here at LifePoint, though. And continued, Heaven is always heaven and unspeakably full of blessedness, but even heaven has its holidays, even bliss has its overflowings. And on that day, when the springtide of the infinite ocean of joy shall have come, what a measureless flood of delight shall overflow the souls of all glorified spirits. We do not know yet, beloved, of what happiness we are capable. That's good, man. Heaven is going to be awesome. Now, these are filled with joy and worship because it's finally time for Jesus to be joined together with his church. Now, we think we're joined together with Jesus now, but this takes it to another level, to such a close union that it can only be compared to that of a husband and a wife. This is about the marriage of the Lamb. So look with me to verses 7 through 10. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting, Julie? Yeah, right, it is. 7 through 10. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. Let's read 8 and stop there. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is stunning to me, i got to be honest with you, because it says that she made herself, everybody say herself, she made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. She made herself ready. Okay. So that sounds like she had something to do with it, doesn't it? But then it says, but it was granted to her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, God, you know, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I, I can't do anything to get it. But then, man, that last line comes. For the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Again, 
she had something to do with it. The righteous acts of the Lord. No, of the saints. Of the saints. That is stunning to play. That means that she has a role to play in getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, she has a role to play in order to get to heaven. You don't hear this much anymore. This is not the popular message on to, to somebody else at camp. What did they say? Man camp. They said, those Brill Cream Prophets on TV. I was like, Brill Cream Prophets on TV? I mean, uh, Brill Cream. Wow, there you go, Ron. The Brill Cream Prophets on TV. But, you, you know, whoever those people may be, you don't seem to hear a whole lot about what we are responsible to do, I'm, I'm in the Bible right here, to get to heaven. Because what we do is we put all of it on God. If I get there, it's God's fault. Well, it is because I'm a grace dude. I'm just telling you, I'm a grace guy. I'm a grace preacher. But I'm, I'm in the Bible right here. It said that, uh, let me read it again. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, Clean and bright, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. She made herself ready. She made herself ready. We like to put it all on God. I'm going to tell you something. We got some responsibilities, church. You want to go there? So do I. We've got some responsibilities. Listen to the contrast and comparison going on in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We did a whole series on the book of Ephesians. It was incredible. That in the ages to come, listen, listen to this. That in the ages to come, where are we right now in Revelation 19? We're in those ages to come. So here is, the, he's speaking of Revelation 19. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here, 
we see that, you know, this was monergistic. In other words, this was God energized, God initiated. But at the same time, he created us for good works when we were born again. And, and the works that we should walk in were, were foreordained. In other words, like there's, God's got a plan for your life. God's got a destiny for your life. And you need to walk in that because that's what you were created for. And we're going to talk about this marriage thing tonight and the next time we do this series because it won't be next week because next week we have urshan because we don't have church on Wednesday night, right? It's on Thursday night. You need to tell everybody, make sure they know. No church on Wednesday night. It's on Thursday night, and we will not be going. Wouldn't that be funny if I forced Urshan to go through Revelation? This is part 31. You know, thanks for singing, guys. Sit down. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But we're going to talk about this marriage stuff because uh, it's important, and it will come into play. This idea of created for good works, and we have this relationship now, but we have a greater relationship coming. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at verses 9 and 10 back in Revelation 19. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We talked about that's an embarrassing verse for poor Johnny. Gets so beside himself that he falls down before an angel. The angel's like, what are you doing? Get up. That, that's amazing to me. This just tells you how caught up in the moment he was of heaven and, and this consummation of all things. He's just going crazy, and he straight gets confused, and he falls down and starts worshiping an angel. And he's like, stop it. Get up. We worship him. And, and I, I, I'm just telling I've said it before. It's amazing. I would have deleted that. I was like, I'm not going to put that down. That's humiliating. You know, this is John. He's probably looking at his brother, you know, like, what's... What's James going to say? You know, he's going to give me such a hard time. I feel like you worship an angel, you idiot. You know, like, so he, he did write it down, though. It's just amazing. So what we call the church is actually the redeemed of all the ages. It's the redeemed of all the ages, going back to the garden, all the way up through the last human being who will exist. The church is actually redeemed of all the ages, or at least that's the way I see it. Uh, I know from the garden, I'm a little fuzzy on to the end because we have still the millennial reign of Christ to go through, which will be in the next chapter. But but look 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 with me to Ephesians five, back to Ephesians five twenty five, and we'll read a little bit about this idea of the body of Christ and the bride. Of Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives. As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's the way the Lord looks at you. 
For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, in the previous verses, the bride, the wife, was commanded to submit to her husband or to respect or to empower her husband, but the idea was to submit. He's the head. 2 Corinthians 11. Oh, it could get quiet in here on this. Oh, let's have some fun with it, shall we? But notice I didn't really read that verse. I just kind of quoted it. I quote it all the time around my house. But, but I read the husbands love your wives. It's, it's, it, as Christ loved the church. You want your wife to respect you, to submit to you. Love her like Jesus loved the church. You won't have a problem with that. Uh, but look at 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 1 through 6. This is some more with this idea of the bride of Christ. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus, that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, remember Babylon, so here you have this washing of water by the word up here in Ephesians, here you have a serpent deceiving Eve with craftiness in the mind, corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Somebody preaching another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received uh, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. This idea of not uh, without spot, without wrinkle, this idea of the deception, another Christ, another spirit, this idea of the washing of water of the word, and then Paul brings into this idea that, that the apostles, including Paul, who was in agreement with the apostles, if you stay in line with them, then there is a biblical purity. So when I say you have something to do with it, I'm going to tell you something. Your lifestyle is very important. It really is. How you conduct yourself. But I, I'm, I don't know if I can say this right. I, I hope I can. But like how you conduct yourself is important. You know, you don't sleep around. You don't smoke dope. You know, these extreme examples, but there's smaller examples too, you know, like Miss Cynthia doesn't smoke dope, you know, thank God. Uh, but there's all kind of things that we don't do, living a holy life. Like we do these things, living a lifestyle issues, decisions, making smart decisions, 
making biblical decisions, godly decisions. I will live this way. I will not do some things. I will do some things. I'll cut off some relationships because they're bad influences on me. Like living those lifestyles uh, that are pleasing to the Lord, those, those are those are very, very important. How you live your life, not in drunkenness, the works of the flesh, those kinds of things. But let me just say this. One of the reasons why you're supposed to live a separated life, which is what a holy life means. You hear what I'm you hear what this preacher is saying. One of the reasons you're supposed to live a separated life is because if you don't, then you will become vulnerable to attacks from the enemy to get you off of the fundamental message that got you saved in the first place. You become susceptible. If you can't resist a spirit that's tempting you and leading you to lead a life after the flesh just in your everyday life, lying, cheating, drinking, and partying, and carousing, and sleeping around, and smoking dope, and doing all. If you can't say no to that, it won't be long before a spirit comes in and says, listen, let me introduce you to another Jesus that doesn't require anything of you. Let me tell you about a Jesus who says, everything's all right. It doesn't matter how you live in this world. You'll start buying into a fake message, a Babylon message. Hello. You're supposed to have yourself washed by the washing of the water of the word. So it is, it is like a death of a thousand cuts. Like you start compromising in your lifestyle, in unforgiveness and not letting go of hurts and pains and hanging on to resentment and jealousy and, and, and living after the flesh, it won't be long before you've lost the gospel message, you've lost your edge, and there's wrinkles and spots. I don't think the wrinkles and spots necessarily are just struggling with sin and then asking for forgiveness because Jesus the Christ is the righteous one who is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if you sear your conscience and choose to violate your conscience, violate the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and live in blatant, open sin and rebellion against God, it's not long before you're going to chunk the message as well. You hear what I'm saying? It's going to happen. And so here... There are righteous works that we are foreordained to walk in and it's part of being part of the bride of Christ. Robert Mounts says this. Listen to the idea of a Jewish wedding. In biblical times, a marriage involved two major events, the betrothal, which we just read about, and the wedding. These were normally separated by a period of time during which the two individuals were considered husband and wife and as such were under the obligations of faithfulness. The wedding began with a procession to the bride's house, which was followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. By analogy, the church espoused to Christ uh, by faith now awaits the perusia, the, the rapture, the catching away, when the heavenly groom will come for his bride and return to heaven for the marriage feast, which lasts throughout all eternity. It's as if at this time, here in time space, we are espoused or engaged. That's the word we would think of when we think of betrothal. 
it's, it's an engagement, but it's stronger than North American engagement. You know, God help me, this, this gets on the podcast. We just hope nobody hears this that it's relevant to. But, you know, years and years and eons ago, talk about uh, what North American engagement means. Uh, Valerie was dating my fiance's brother. That's kind of how we started liking each other. And just let your mind wonder, right? Things didn't work out exactly the way everybody thought they were going to work out. But we've had a great life. I love my wife. (laughs) We've had a great life. But in these days, the betrothal, the engagement to get out of it, you had to have a divorce. It was a legal thing to be betrothed. And it's as if it, it, this, in this time space, we're espoused to Christ. I don't want to diminish our relationship, but there is coming a day when we will be married to Christ. In the Eastern world, the bride and the groom would be betrothed. It was serious. To get out of it, you needed a writ of divorce. And the groom then would announce to his wife or to his fiance in the presence of the family. You may recognize this, these words. He, but before he would come back for her, he would look at her and he was, he was about to go away and he would say this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also and where I go, you know, and the way you know. He would go to his father's house or around there, build a place in his father's house or attached to it. He would return at a time only known to his father. No, that's why in Acts 1, they they came to him and they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know times or season which the father has put in his own authority. And there's so much about weddings and the parables, and it's alluded to throughout the Bible. But here you have have the idea of when Jesus ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, like you're going into all the world to preach the gospel, but it is a betrothal, an espousal situation. But one day I'm coming back, and no man knows the day or the hour. But you hear what I'm saying. One day that trumpet's going to sound and announce Here I've come to catch my bride away. I have made all things ready. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Revelation. So back in Revelation 19, why don't you stand with me? It'll encourage me to close. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Are you with me? You kind of getting this? Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. 
Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've heard a lot of this language, interesting, a name that no one knew except himself, a name, Word of God, a name, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We've heard some of this. But in closing, we'll we'll cover some of that later. The bottom line is this. The Lamb has overcome. The Lamb has overcome. And really, this is painting a picture of Armageddon, as we'll see in the next four verses. It paints a picture of Armageddon. It's, 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 It's a victorious Christ, crowns on His head, and we are with Him. Now, we've seen... Armageddon before, Revelation 13, 15, I believe, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there. It's been throughout. It's not all linear. Sometimes it goes and backtracks, and we're getting pieces of the story as the chapters unfold. But the bottom line is this. In the end, Jesus wins. In the end, Jesus wins. And I want to I want to have made myself ready. He's done. All he's going to do, it's the finished work of Christ. He's equipped me, he's foreordained me, he's anointed me, he's destined me. But i got to walk in agreement with that plan. That's my job. As a bride makes herself ready for the groom. Stays faithful, prepares, makes herself ready. That's what I'm supposed to do. To make myself ready. For that, I want to be ready, right? When the trumpet sounds, I'm looking, right? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I love my family. I I love uh, you, but but I'm on the first train out of here. When that trumpet sounds, I'm going up. Amen. Let's just lift our hands to Him right now. Father, we love you so much. We are so grateful, God, for all that you've done, all you're doing, and God, all you're going to do in the future. This is an epic story. And God, if the 12 sons of Jacob are on their faces before the risen Christ, Joseph was a type of the Christ. And if the 12 apostles are on their faces before the risen Christ, the victorious Christ, who am I that I should not lift my voice and lift my hands and and lift my praise and lift my worship because the blood of the Lamb has overcome, Lord. I've come through it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I want to give you all the praise. I want to give you all the glory. I want to practice for it down here in time, space, God. I want to practice, Lord, giving you all the glory and all the praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.